I trust this morning as you've worshipped along with the worship team that you've already entered into the presence of God and that your heart is ready to listen to what God has to say to you through the book of 1 Peter. There's this really incredible moment right at the very beginning of Peter's letter that's easy to miss. We get so excited about the letter and and how it's going to be hope and encouragement and and we we want to just get to the heart of the letter right away and sometimes we miss right at the very, very start, the way that Peter starts out. You know that Peter is writing to encourage people in in difficult situations. He's, He's writing to help people understand Jesus better. He's writing to bolster our courage, to put fire under our feet, to give us audacity in our adversity, to put metal in in the midst of our misfortune and daring in the dangerous times. You know that he's doing that. But before Peter takes the time to focus on us, he focuses on God. Peter focuses on God. Look at verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ up from the dead and now we live with this great expectation and now we have this priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for everyone to see. Now, in the next 25 minutes or so that I have with you, there's two things as we look at this passage of Scripture that I'm really hoping that you'll, you'll come to, to grasp. There's two ways that I, I hope this passage will impact you this morning. First of all, I hope that you will return fresh again to the salvation that you have in Jesus and that, and that the truth of that, the beauty of that, the fact that you are saved and that you're a child of God will just fill you with wonder and awe that you will be lost in wonder and awe for our God. And secondly, springing out of that, I hope that you're going to see why, particularly at this point in history with a pandemic raging all around us, why this is so important for us to to have our praise of God. Because in difficult times, God's people cling to their wonder and awe of God. John Piper points out how sometimes uh, theologians or lecturers and Bible school preachers or teachers can really make God's word tedious. And, And John Piper says, Peter could have begun his letter in a cool, collected, dispassionate, unemotional way. He could have said, my lecture topic for you today is regeneration, and I have several topics, doctrines on which I wish to expound. Let me list them for you. God, regeneration, hope, the resurrection of Jesus, inheritance, and heaven. Six things. Let us pay close attention to these things. Take out your notebooks and follow along, write profusely as I give you these lectures. Peter could have done that. I'm so glad that he didn't. Lord, forgive us pastors when we make your word boring. It's not. It's not dull. Your word is living and active. It it changes the very marrow in our bones. It's alive. And it gives us hope. And it leaves us lost in wonder and awe. 
And so this is how Peter starts out his letter to the, to the first Christians in the book of 1 Peter. All praise to God. You see, here's the thing. Good biblical teaching always touches both the head and the heart. If you only hit one of those two, it's incomplete. And so you could get up and preach a good sermon that would tug at someone's heartstrings and make them cry and get them all emotional. But that's, that's just emotional manipulation. It's not a complete sermon. And, and you, you could get up and preach three points, a poem and a prayer, and have this awesome, amazing alliteration and all those sorts of things, fill people's head with knowledge about, about who God is and, and all of that, but, but knowledge by itself puffs up. And if you haven't touched the heart, it's also incomplete. My preaching professor in Bible school, Dr. Kleimenhager, used to always say that, that a good sermon is two things. It is a word from God intersecting with the human need shape of a cross, right? Easy to remember. A word from God intersecting with the human need. Both of those are critically important. And if you don't have one of those, you're in a lot of trouble. So whenever you listen to a sermon, this one or any other ones, you should be asking yourself two questions. First of all, is it true? Is it a word from God? And then second of all, is it relevant? Does it impact my needs? What is the so what at the end of the sermon. Now here at Bridgeway, we try and design our entire worship service with that in idea in mind. Everything works together. We, we, we kind of connect and we communicate. The worship packages that we sing, the prayers and scriptures that we read, the sermon that we preach, they're, they're all connected to each other. In, in a worship service, our goal is to help you connect with God so that you can hear from him. That, that's what we want to do. Um, whether we're gathering in person on Sundays or whether we're gathering virtually, that's our hope, is that you will feel connected to God so that you can hear from him. And so that's why the lead pastor and the worship leader and the service host all connect to each other through the week to talk about what the service is going to be like. It's because we believe that the best way to seek the mind of the Holy Spirit is as a team, to do it together. So it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, I'm thankful this morning that uh, I'm married to one of the worship leaders, but I'm also really grateful for the other worship leaders who, who, who connect with their lead pastor or connect with the preacher that week and connect with Darren as he's hosting this service and some of the elders who host the service and we want to make all of those connections it's a little more work for us but we believe that it is the best way to hear the voice of the holy spirit we hear him as a team we hear him together and that's our hope for you is that you've heard from god you've connected with him so that you can actually now listen to him that's the point of a worship service praise and theology interconnected just like first peter does right here he begins with praise all praise to God our Father. Later on in, in the book, he's going to be talking more theology, but right here, he's talking with praise. So we want to begin that with that idea, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a God we worship. What a blessing it is to be his children. What blessed assurance to know that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Is that not beautiful truth? Is it not a great thing to realize that never once have you ever walked alone? Never once has God left you on your own. He's faithful. God is faithful. The God of angel armies 
is always by our side. Now, at this point in, in the sermon, maybe you're looking at, at, at 1 Peter and you're going, Pastor Nick, are you making too much of this one simple phrase? After all, it's just three words. All praise to four words. Eulogetos hotheos, three words in the Greek, right? It's just, it's just a short little phrase. Why are you, are you blowing it out of proportion? I don't think so. You see, Peter begins his entire letter this way, yes, he begins with praise, but the whole letter is saturated and suffused with the praise of God. Pastor Darren and I were studying 1 Peter, and we're comparing notes this week, studying it separately, and then talking about it and praying through it together. And, and Darren just observed that he studied 1 Peter before in Bible school, probably when he had to write a paper on it and get marked for it. But, but this time around, as he's been studying it, it's just how, how the praise of God is just saturating the whole text. It's just effusive that this praise keeps welling up from the book of 1 Peter all the way through the entire book. And we know that Peter is writing to people who are scattered, like Christians who are all over Asia Minor. Many of them are believers in communities that are too small. There's not enough believers yet for them to even have a church gathering. And so they're worshiping God on their own, and they're scattered, and they can't gather with other people. And we know that at the time, and historically speaking, there's all these difficulties that are going on. These people live much harder lives than we live here in Canada, and it's going to get worse for them. And so Peter is, is writing to, to, to remind them of this. They're going through these fiery trials, and it's going to get worse. And I have to ask you, like, <laughs> do you see a few points of connection between these believers in the first century and us today? Scattered, isolated, unable to gather, going through difficulties with perhaps more on the way. Man, this, this passage was like it was written for us yesterday. And as Peter writes to inspire these isolated believers, to encourage them as their trials deepen, he begins by praising God, by just worshiping God. Praise and worship matter. All praise to God, our God and Father. What a God we worship. What a hope he gives us, a living hope that will never fail. So praise matters. Now let's take a second and, and just look at why it matters. Why do we praise God? Well, it's because of what God has done for us. Like all the great things that he's given us, the, none of which that we deserve should cause us to respond in praise. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and now we live with a great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. There's a couple of things I want to just bring out there for your enjoyment, for you to be lost in wonder and awe of your God. Why do we praise God? First of all, we praise God because God gives us mercy through deepest darkness. God's loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. 
Last week, we talked about God's great mercy for us. We used that illustration of being picked to be on a team, being part of the crowd with our eyes closed, just hoping that the captain would pick us. And I have to say to you that the the metaphor falls apart because here's the reality. Jesus, your captain, has picked you to be on his team, and he's picked you first. He's picked you first. And it doesn't matter if you can't hardly skate and and you can't play hockey worth beans. He didn't pick you because of what you can contribute as a valuable team member. He's the captain. He could win the game all by himself. He picked you. He chose you because he wants you to be on his team because he loves you. He chose you. We didn't deserve the great mercy that God has shown to us. Yet he gives it to us anyways. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. And he he washed away our sins. And he gave us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. So we praise God because of mercy. My goodness, how amazing mercy is. Second of all, We praise God because God's given us a new birth. I love that phrase, born again. It just messed up Nicodemus. He couldn't get it at all. But the other versions say new birth or or begotten us again in your King James version, begotten. A brand new life is what Eugene Peterson says. There's so many of us that want that, don't we? A, A fresh start. We'd like a do-over. We look at some of the decisions that we've made over time and some of the things that we did, especially when we were young and foolish, and we're going, man, I, I, I wish I could just get back and, and redo all of that. I've made a mess of me. I want to reverse this tragedy. I've made a mess of me. I want to spend the rest of my life alive. That's why so many people in our world believe in the idea of reincarnation. It's not true. It's not what the Bible speaks of. The Bible teaches that it's appointed to all men to live once, to die, and then to face judgment. But non-Christians love the idea of reincarnation because it's the possibility of a do-over. We just spent all of Christmas talking about second chance Christmas. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to be able to go back in time and and just not do some of the things you did? Like take back some of those actions and not say some of those words? Wouldn't you love a do-over? But the problem is, if God just wiped your slate clean so that you could start again from the beginning, wouldn't you just mess it up all over again? Like you would either make the same mistakes, (laughs) right? Uh, Ukrainians, um, or you would like make a whole bunch of different mistakes. It, it might even go worse for you the second time around. What a blessing to know that, that that's not what God does. He doesn't just wipe your slate clean uh, in order for you to go back to that life and try and do better the next time around. No, he gives you everything that you need for this brand new life. He forgives you. He wipes that slate clean, and then he comes and inhabits you. He dwells within you. His Holy Spirit guides you and gives you that direction in your life. That's what he does. You see, your second life as a believer in Jesus has all this potential that your old life, your old thinking, your old ways, your old sinfulness just could never overcome. God has made you born again into a brand spanking new life. Praise be to God. Amen. Wow. 
The third great gift that God gives us, the third reason why we lapse into praise for our God is because God has given us a living hope, a living hope. You see, your position as a believer in this world is always going to be tenuous. You're a stranger, an exile. You're not supposed to fit in. But your position in Jesus Christ will always be rock solid, just absolutely sure and certain and dependable. The apostle Paul, Warren Wiersbe says that, that different apostles have different emphases. And when you read Paul, he's the apostle of faith. And when you read Paul's books and Paul's letters, it, it helps to build your faith, your trust in God. Paul's the apostle of faith. When you read John, John the apostle, whether you're reading his gospel or his three letters or even the book of Revelation, John is the apostle of love. And when you read John's letters, you, you grow deeper in your love for God and, and you grow deeper in your love for other people as well because John is the apostle of love. But Peter, Peter is the apostle of hope. Hope. When you read Peter, it deepens the hope that you have in God. And you think about it and you, you, you think about this world and there's not a lot of hope out there, is there? Like, there's still so many people out there putting their hope in politicians and in political systems and in fair and free elections. <laughs> Good luck with that. How's that going for you? That's not a place to put your hope. Lots of other people put their hope in their jobs and we're just, we're all hoping that this lockdown will end and we can go back to work and, and, and start to have these, the, the economy open up again. And, and, and I just look at that and I go, I don't, we don't know what that's going to look like. How can, how can you put your hope in that when that, that could all evaporate? There's, there's no hope there. We don't know if our businesses will survive this lockdown. We don't, we don't know. Some people put their hope in, in the healthcare system. It just It's so strange because doctors are disagreeing with each other about right treatments. This is all brand new for them too. So they're figuring it out as they go and some of you are guinea pigs and that's just, that's just the way that it is. But you can't put hope in that and I'm reading about this vaccine and there's some questions about that and the more I read about that, the less hope I have in that. See, no matter what you put your hope in, it's going to let you down. Some people put their hope in other people. Other people will always let you down. Even the very best ones, they'll let you down. Your children, they're going to mess up and let you down. Your spouse, they're going to let you down once in a while. Even your pastor will let you down once in a while. He's not perfect. He's human. Our hope it's not in our circumstances, and it's not in people. We have a living hope in Jesus Christ. One place to put all of your hope, and one place alone. Paul speaks about the steadfastness of our hope in Jesus Christ in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. In Colossians 1.27, he writes of Christ in you is your hope of glory. We'll be talking about glory in the next couple of weeks. And in Psalm 39.7, the psalmist says, my hope is in you alone. My hope is in you 
alone. In Jesus Christ, you have a living hope. Don't put your hope in anything else. It's an amazing gift from God. So God gave you his mercy. God gave you new birth. God gives you living hope in Jesus. These are all reasons to praise God. Fourth reason why we praise God is because God's given us a guaranteed inheritance. Look at verse 4. It's just a nugget of beauty. This is just an incredible passage of Scripture. It says, we have this priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. When I originally was scoping out First Peter and kind of figuring out what, this was a whole sermon in and of itself. There's just enough in this one little verse. It's just a, a nugget of pure gold. I mean, what you have waiting for you in heaven as a child of God, the inheritance that he's keeping for you, it, it'll boggle your mind. When you finally see it, it will be so amazing, you won't even be able to comprehend it. But look at this. First of all, it says the, this inheritance is imperishable. The King James Version calls it incorruptible. Nothing can touch it. Nothing can diminish it. Nothing can take it away from you. Second of all, this inheritance that you've got waiting for you is is undefiled. It is pure. It is wholesome, untainted, unpolluted, uncontaminated. Third, this inheritance that God has waiting for you is unfading. It will never dull. It will never fade away. It will never simmer down to a dull roar. It is like a bouquet of roses that never wilts. It's, it's, it's unfading. And then finally, Peter says this inheritance is, is invulnerable. It is, it is safe and secure from all alarms. It's like Fort Knox. It's, it's locked up so tight that no thief can ever break in and steal it. It's sure and certain. It's more guaranteed for you than anything else on planet Earth, this inheritance that you have. So I ask you, have you been so focused lately on all of the distractions, all of the things that are going on in this temporary present darkness that you've forgotten your hope. Have you? Questionable elections, hypocritical leaders on vacation in sunny places when we're all stuck at home, people's army of China doing exercises on Canadian soil, wearing a mask, social distancing, my friends. All of these are distractions. Can you imagine if you were as fanatical about sharing the gospel with your friends and your neighbors, your social media, as you are about sharing your opinions on what's going on in our world, whatever those are, been thinking about that all week because I hold my opinions pretty strongly. If you haven't followed me on Facebook, I don't recommend it. (laughs) Not for the faint of heart. But you know, this week I shared the gospel with someone too. And I just, I came away from that just so pumped and so on fire and so thinking like, this is what matters. All this other stuff, it's, it's just stuff. We have this inheritance. It's guaranteed. I hope this morning that, that you're thinking about that, that you're lost in wonder and awe because of what God has done for you. You didn't deserve any of it. 
And you know, until that day comes when you uh, receive that inheritance, there's a final promise. There's an amazing gift of God that just it causes us to lapse into wonder and praise as well. And it is number five, God gives you perfect protection. Perfect protection. I mean, think about it for a second. When Tony Stark is walking around in his regular clothes, he's vulnerable. He's just an ordinary guy. He's not even the strongest guy in the room. He isn't a threat to any bad guy. I think Pepper Potts could probably take him, right? But when Tony Stark puts on that suit, he becomes Iron Man. By the way, I'm neither endorsing nor condemning the movies. So what I'm trying to say, though, is that if you have accepted Jesus into your heart, if you've asked him to forgive your sins and you're following him as your savior, then nothing can touch you. You are so strong and so invulnerable because of who you are in Christ that you make Iron Man jealous. God is protecting you by his power. Puny little humans. On your own, you are so weak, so pitiful, so precipitous on your own. You don't even have an exoskeleton for crying out loud. But when God enters your life, he has promised you his protection every minute of every day until every single minute of your life is complete and you enter into the glorious inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. Psalm 46, one says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help us in time of trouble. First, Second Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Isaiah 54.17 says, in that day, no weapon turned against you is gonna succeed. You will silence every voice raised up by those who accuse you. These benefits are going to be enjoyed by all the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me, for I, the Lord, Lord, have spoken it. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always at my side. God's given you his mercy, could have judged you, could have destroyed you, he chose to forgive you. God's given you a new life, not just a second chance, not just cleaned up the old one, but a brand new life, a new life in Christ, born again. God's given you a living hope. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he is at the right hand of the Father on high right now and one day he's coming to judge the quick and the dead. I mean, he's just a living hope. Our God is alive and God has given you a guaranteed inheritance. The things that you have coming your way are so phenomenal that you can't even grasp it. As a follower of Jesus, there's always blessing and beauty and glory ahead of you. And, and until that is completely realized, God is giving you his perfect protection. He is your sword and your shield. He is your rampart. He is your strong foundation. You don't have to be afraid because he's got you. He's got you. Now, at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned that I had two goals for you as you listened. First of all, that you would realize just how great this God is who loves you and that you would be lost in wonder and awe. And I spent the last 20 minutes or so just, just bringing out this idea for you. And the second point 
is that you would realize how much it matters right here and right now. You see, we've just entered a new year, a new page on the calendar, maybe even a brand new calendar. And many of us were thinking back in July or August that that 2021 was going to be different, right? It was going to be better than 2020. Last year was a rough year. We were all looking forward to it ending. But just because the year ended doesn't mean the troubles have ended. We still face an uncertain future. There's going to be a collision. The world is sinking fast. And the Bible tells us things are going to get worse before they get better. They're, They're going to get worse. And God, in his great wisdom and mercy, has not told us what lies ahead for us. He he hasn't. We don't know what particular calamities are still waiting tomorrow or the next day. They may be personal calamities that seem to single us out, like, like Job just being attacked and stripped of every blessing in his life, disaster after disaster in his personal life. I've seen some of you face those trials in your own lives, and I'm just, I'm so proud of the way that your faith has been your anchor. You've encouraged the rest of us by that, and I'm thankful for that. I'm touched to see Jesus lighting the way through your dark path. And maybe there's group calamities on the way, maybe even global. We simply don't know. We don't know if COVID is going to morph or, or if it's going to fade away quietly or if it's just going to turn into something even more awful than bubonic plague. We just don't know at this point in history. We don't know. We, we don't know if our government is con- going to continue to act as servants of the people like we expect them to or whether we are just one, um, one exercise, one mobilized army army force, one, one um, announcements from the steps of Rideau Hall away from dictatorship. We just, we don't know. But we do know this. God is in control. God is in control. He's our refuge and our help. He's here with us in our time of troubles. God protects us. He's given us salvation through the resurrection of his son Jesus from the dead. And God remains in control of everything that happens. So you can trust him. You can trust him. First Peter was written to Christians who are facing open hostility, uncertain futures, personal and empire-wide calamities. As followers of Jesus, they were being mocked and ridiculed, harassed, marginalized, imprisoned, some of them even put to death. And Peter's message to them is God's message to you. You will always be a stranger in a strange land. You will always not fit in with this world but you will always be God's chosen child. And what God says about you matters so much more than what anyone else says about you. And God says he's chosen you. He hasn't just accepted you as you've come to him. He came looking for you. He's chosen you. And so, although your position in this world will always be tenuous, Your position in Jesus Christ will always be sure. It will always be certain. 
It will always be unshakable. Jesus Christ is your living hope.